purpose. Amen? Discipleship on purpose. And actually, if we're having true fellowship, as we talked about in the first lesson, it will result in discipleship. And true discipleship actually results in fellowship or includes fellowship. And actually, um, Brother Milton, if you don't mind real quick, could you shut those doors? Brother Sam's got it. Brother Ken, can you help me out? If you haven't received one of these half sheets of paper from me, we need to try to do something really quick. Um, I apologize. Um, well, yeah, you know what? That's not, maybe that's a good idea.
December 7th is their actual anniversary. We're going to do it the week before that. If we get enough money. So, lesson number two on follow to Luke, discipleship on purpose. Our text continues to be from Matthew chapter 28. You see the first part of that there in the New King James Version. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. So, I'm not going to be able to get through this whole entire lesson tonight, and that's on purpose. Um, I'm trying to give you as much material that's in the book as I can. Um, if you haven't purchased the book yet, again, it's Follow to Luke by Sharon Gleason. If you can't purchase it, that's fine. Um, we're probably going to try to get a few of them here um, that you could possibly buy from the church, um, and we're not going to make any money off of it. We'll just buy them, and then you can purchase them um, from the church. Um, but we want to, um, you know, get it, I want to get as much of the material in your hand in your hands as we can um, around this book. Um, so um, some of the stuff that's in here we're not even going to talk about tonight, and I will I will tell you that we're skipping over stuff. But I would like for you to go home and and read and kind of and kind of go over the stuff that we don't cover tonight. Is that is that fair? Hopefully you can squeeze a few minutes to at least read it once, <laughs> all right, maybe in, in your devotion um, that, that you're having in the morning or in the evening or something. So imagine that you were presented with a challenge to launch a company with a vision to make an impact on the entire world, and you were given unlimited resources to get it done. But there's a catch. You've only been given three years to initiate and establish this new enterprise. So how would you, let's start this off with the discussion, how would you accomplish this seemingly impossible task? You've got three years to launch a company that will impact the whole world. How are you going to do it? <laughs> what, what was that, Sister Lane? <laughs> run away. <laughs> so you're not going to do it. You're going to run away from it. Sister Lisette, get a bunch of help. I heard somebody say pray. <laughs> Sister Tryon, okay, yeah, I'm going to pray a lot about that. Yes, absolutely. Brother Sam. Prayer and fasting. We're going to need a lot of that if we're going to accomplish this in three years. Absolutely. Brother Kane. Get a vision of what you're going to do. Okay, so then what are you going to do with that vision? I'll get with you in just a second. Do you have an idea? Or what do we do with the vision? Train, train others on the vision. Absolutely, Sister Veronica. Marketing. Okay, what, so we got a lot of ways to market now, right? We can get billboards. We can do internet. I mean, social media is blowing up. You can get all over the world, right? Um, with social media, um, you can. You know, we we want we want this to go viral, right? So we're gonna do whatever we can. What up, brother Kane? Did you have another comment? So now you got to work through the barriers. We're, we got to be global. So we got to get it in all languages. We've got to, we've got to get it. You know, we, we've got to figure out. Some people don't even have internet. Don't want to have electricity. How are we going to get it in their hands? Sister Tyra. Got to have a plan A and a plan B. How's this going to work? 
Right. Anybody else any ideas? How are you going to accomplish this? Brother Tim. So you're going to need people to help you in doing this. You're not going to be able to do it by yourself, right? Um, so, some people, when they try to launch a company, they write a book, and they promote the book, and they offer training in their area of expertise to anybody who would like it um, as, a, as a way to get the word out. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. That's, that's a pretty good business model. It actually works, and so some people have actually done that. You only got three years. Your first and biggest challenge is probably going to be to establish the values and the core practices that's going to outlast you. Because if this is going to be sustainable, if it's going to really impact the whole world, it's probably going to happen. You've only got three years to get this thing going. You know, you've you got to make a way that, that this has got to be sustained beyond you, right? And even then, there's no guarantees. And it sounds like a daunting task, doesn't it? If you were to think about that, you'd be like, man, how am I going to do this? Brother Andres. <laughs> make sure you're not breaking any laws, right? I mean, a lot of parameters you have to stay within. Right, because then you're going to get shut down. It's not going to be sustainable if you're breaking laws for very long. Eventually, you're going to get caught. What you do in the dark is going to come to the light, right? <laughs> That's exactly the challenge that Jesus faced, right? So let's talk a little bit about Jesus' challenge. Remember, and the reason I put three years on there is because that's exactly what Jesus had three, really, three and a half years before he went to the cross. And he had to figure out some way to get this thing started so that it would last. And I think so far he's done a pretty good job of it. If you look on it, the church is still here 2,000 years later, right? Pretty good. So Jesus' challenge, he needed to, letter A there, he needed to build a church that would outlive his earthly ministry. He needed to build a church that would outlive his earthly ministry. He was only going to be here for three and a half years, and he knew that. And so he had to start something that was going to outlive him in, in the physical sense. All right, we know he's still alive now, but in the physical sense that he's not present here physically with us every step of the way, he had to do that. Now, let her be there as the lamb slain from the foundation of the world, Jesus had a date with destiny. He had to go to that cross, and he had to rise again, and then he had to go back up to heaven and leave it all in the hands of somebody. He wasn't going to be here any longer. So just in the same way, we have a date with destiny. The Bible says in Hebrews 9 and 27 that it's appointed once unto men to die and then the judgment. And so you're going to die one of these days. Hopefully you're going to go to heaven. You're going to face the judgment just like everybody else. Um, but you're not going to be here any longer. So there's a date with destiny. You've only got a little bit of time, whatever that time is. And we don't. none of us know how much time we really have. But whatever that time is, you only have a little bit of time for, to accomplish the mission that God has given you. And not only that, we don't know how much time we've got because Jesus is coming soon. I mean, I've been here my whole life, but I believe I'm closer now than I've ever been because, I mean, look at the times that we live in. Look at the, the things that are going on in the world. We are close to the second coming of Jesus Christ. And, and our destiny and our mission is tied directly to his destiny and his mission. His mission, Jesus' mission, had to reach beyond one generation. Therefore, number one there under letter C, he needed to institute a method that could successfully be, successfully be sustained for all ages. And in order to do so, he had to make every moment count. Church, I believe we need to follow his example and 
We need to make sure that we are taking care of every, taking advantage of every opportunity that presents itself to us. Paul said in Ephesians 5, 15 through 17, See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Wherefore, be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. That word circumspect really means don't, don't get all... Well, we'll talk about that in a little bit because I got a question down there later in the notes. His prophetic clock was ticking. His calendar was set. He had a date with a cross. He had a mission uh, to accomplish before that date came. And, and in the same way, our prophetic clock is ticking. We, we have a date with Jesus to meet him in the air. I'm thankful for that. Amen. But we, too, have a mission to accomplish before that date. And that mission is we need to make disciples of all nations. So, number nine in your notes there under letter C, we must walk circumspectly. So let's talk about that. What does it mean to walk circumspectly? We, we, we use these big words. We read them and we're like, oh, what does that mean? And then we just sometimes pass over it. What, what does it mean, Sister Veronica? Diligently. That's uh, absolutely, that is, that is correct. That's part of it. What else? What does it mean to walk circumspectly? Sister Maria? Cautiously. Brother Redway. Must align it with his words, with his words. You know, every arrow has to hit the target, right? You know, everything we do needs to be pointed towards that target. Sister Ellen? Walking worthy of the calling. Anybody else? What does it mean to walk circumspectly? Sister Veronica? Prudence? So wisdom and prudence and doing things wisely, yeah. And Paul later said, you know, t- later in, in that same passage, he said, be, be wise, understanding what the will of the Lord is. So circumspectly, I- in the, the word that was translated circum- circumspectly in the Greek actually means diligence, and it means accurately with no deviation. Diligent, accurate, with no deviation. Like I said, every arrow hitting the mark, right? We are to walk in such a way as to never deviate from our duty to make disciples. Think about that for a minute. I know you have to work, but even on your job, there ought to be opportunities for you to start making disciples. Everywhere, if you would just look for the opportunity. Don't deviate from the, this is your plan. This is your mission. This is the commission that Jesus gave us. Um, someone said it's co-mission. It's his mission, but he has incorporated and, and, and drafted us to be partners in. So we are co-partners in this mission. So it's a co-mission. We, we are together in this with him. And so um, we cannot deviate from our duty to make disciples. Jesus wasn't going to let anyone or anything deter him from his mission. And we need to have the same mindset. Amen. Paul said we should not be unwise, understanding what the will of the Lord is. He was saying that because we know what God's will is for our lives, we would be wise to take every advantage of every opportunity to fulfill the mission. Remember, we're talking tonight about discipleship on purpose. Every opportunity to make a disciple, every opportunity to spend discipling others, every little moment that you can take advantage of to help somebody along the way. Those, those little teachable moments that you have. I try to 
identify teachable moments with my children, teachable moments with those I'm mentoring. What can we learn from this situation? How could we have done this better? Right? Maybe even it's something that someone else did, um, and we can look at that. And, and like my kids will come to me and say, you know, Dad, I saw something, and not necessarily in the church, just in different things that's going on. Dad, you know, I saw this happen, and, and you know, why was that done that way? Or, or what, what happened there? Or, you know, and, and so I, I can only say so much to my kids, right? But, but I can say, hey, let's, let's talk about this, and how do you think this should be handled? I can spend some time teaching them and, and showing them what, what are some smart ways and, and, you know, some smart ways to handle this or to impart some wisdom to them. I'm, I'm trying to create something and, and, and take advantage of a teachable moment. You can do that with each other. You can do that with others, especially those that you're trying to teach a Bible study to, those you're trying to win to the Lord. You can spend, you know, take advantage of situations, and they might ask a simple question like, why are you still smiling after that guy just cut you out? Hopefully you're still smiling. I would have a hard time smiling after that. That's tough. But why, did, why didn't you slap that guy in the face or that girl in the face for treating you like that? Because he's a cool babuka. <laughs> my wife would say that. Take out my knife, and I'm just going to, that's what my wife would say. <laughs> why did I, why did I, I'm not trying to be racist there, but I'm just saying, my, my wife would be all up, <laughs> you know. Now, she's not going to do that because she's saved, sanctified, and Holy Ghost filled, and uh, hopefully she's not going to do that. But, but why didn't you do it? Why didn't you act like that? Why didn't you get ghetto on somebody when they got ghetto on you? And you can take that as a teachable moment and say, you know what, because I've got Jesus in my heart. And what they say doesn't really matter in the long run. And so you can be, you can be um, uh, even bad situations will turn them into teachable moments. So number 14 there, we must be intentional as it pertains to making disciples. We must be intentional. That's discipleship on purpose as it pertains to making disciples. Jesus' challenge was to establish his vision and to instill his values and his virtues on the earth in ways that were practical and sustainable. Practical and sustainable. You cannot establish vision and instill values from a distance because this task is an intimate one. It's an intimate task. It, it, it needs to be done in close circles. You, you can't just create um, and instill values and vision from a long distance, just from a big platform. Brother Kane. Hmm. God had the word made it become flesh, and he became flesh, and he came down to walk with us so he could get close to us, so he could get more intimate with us. He used to walk with Adam in the cool of the day. Amen. Jesus' most important work was not the Sermon on the Mount, was not the mighty miracles that was done in front of thousands of people. His greatest work was not walking on water or calming storms. His greatest work, the real work that he came to do, was accomplished on a small scale. He personally invested in individuals. He personally invested in individuals. The Great Commission, let's talk about that a little bit. The 
There are four elements to the Great Commission. Now, the author makes the point, and I agree, that the church, especially the apostolic church, has done a commendable job at fulfilling the first three elements of this commission, um, which is to um, go, to baptize, and to teach. Uh, but the fourth one, I think we've got some work to do, and that is to make disciples. And that's sad because that really is the crux of what we're supposed to do. Um, we could do all those other things, but if we're not making disciples, we'll never have true sustainable revival. And so um, we're going to skip over the first. There's some notes there I'd like for you to read through, but we're going to skip over uh, letter two, n- numbers um, and, and under A, and w- numbers one, two, and three, and we're going to go down to number four where it says make. And I apologize. I don't know what page that is in your notes. So if someone finds, what page is it? Page three? So make. And again, try to read through um, the, the, that part there. Um, on on there so you uh, on your own so you can get that but letter four a uh, number four letter four number four this element of the great commission is the glue that keeps the mission together or keeps it going it's the it's the gasoline I guess you could say that that keeps it going in a sense without this element we will never be as effective as and as impactful as we wish to be to make disciples is an invitation. For us to begin living our lives with intention and purpose. Now, the true meaning of making disciples is found in the rabbi-disciple relationship of Bible days. So what a rabbi would do is they would uh, carefully choose their disciples. After they did that, the rabbis, who were also called teachers, would spend their lives teaching, training, imparting, and sharing their lives, their values, and their principles. They spent, once they chose somebody, they would spend the rest of their life teaching, their training, imparting, sharing their values, their visions, their principles, sharing their lives with the disciples that they were making. The disciples would then follow their rabbi, rabbis endlessly down dirt roads and across Hillsides. As a matter of fact, it was often said that they were the disciples were collecting the dust from their master's feet. As they were walking, they were they were picking up the dust that their master was creating as he was walking because they were following. Um, And so the disciples now this is important. The disciples did not choose their rabbis. But the rabbis carefully and intentionally selected their students. And by the way, you did not choose Jesus. But Jesus chose you. Yes, you had to make a decision to repent. Yes, you had to make a a decision to uh, open yourself up to receiving the gift of the Holy Ghost. And you have to choose every day whether or not you're going to be a part of the mission. But he chose you before the foundation of the world. He chose you when you were formed in his womb, in, in in your mother's womb. He chose you. Yes, Brother Vernon, I saw your hand. Yes. Yes, that, boy, that's absolutely true. You're going to be under scrutiny if you're making disciples. Because we talked about that last week, right? And the week before that, their eyes are on you. And they're with you all the time. When the disciples came, and you remember the story when, when some of the disciples came and they said, well, where are you staying? He said, come and see. That was the rabbi relationship. The disciples would leave and go with the rabbi to their place. 
And that's where they hung out, and that's where they spent most of their time. They basically lived with them day in and day out. There were, I mean, and the people that you live with are the people that know the most about you. And so the most important disciples, parents, that you will ever make are your children. But I would also say it's more difficult to make disciples of your children because you're under scrutiny to them all the time. They see the good, the bad, the ugly, and everything in between. And everything worse than ugly, by the way. <laughs> they see it all. <laughs> you heard that, everything worse than ugly, right? <laughs> Brother Andres, did I see your hand? Amen. Isn't that right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, my boss called me today and I haven't been I haven't been to work um, since three weeks before my surgery. So basically the first week in April. And even then, from December until until then, I, w I probably I probably only worked three weeks, three four weeks at work since Christmas because of this whole battle I've had and the surgery I've had to have and everything. My boss called me today, and he knows I'm going back to work on the 17th, and um, and you know he was just kind of briefing me and catching me up on what was going on. But he was like, "Man, we miss you." He said, "We miss your positivity. We miss the energy that you bring." He said, "Things are more peaceful when you're around." I'm saying, I'm thinking. Wow, okay, I must be doing something right. And I'm not trying to brag about myself, but I must be doing something right because I'm taking Jesus into that place. And, and there's one less person taking Jesus into that place. And it's been that way now for six months, basically. And they're like, we miss you. We need you back. You know, get back, get healthy and get back. And, you know, thank God I'm, I'm healthy, you know. Um, but uh, speaking of healthy, we're, we're going to stop and we're going to pray just a moment because um, this, is, this is a very important subject. And... I know we've prayed, and I know we worshiped and everything, but even as I'm teaching this, and this happened last week as well, I've noticed that whenever I'm getting close to something that the devil doesn't like, that you, several years ago I had surgery on my head to remove a tumor, and, and, and I get neck spasms every now and then. And I've learned that there's nothing physical. The doctors can't find anything wrong. I'm having a neck spasm right now, so let's pray for a moment that, that this is going to leave. It's giving me a headache. And Lord Jesus, we thank you. Lord, this is something that you want the church to get. We thank you for it right now, Lord. We ask you, Lord, in the name of Jesus, to take authority over this spasm that's coming in, Lord, and the enemy that would try to attack. Lord, I pray in the name of Jesus that you would remove the pain. I rebuke the spirit of infirmity that would try to attach right now itself to my body, Lord. You want your church to hear this message. You want your church to get this concept, Lord. I pray you would give them the strength and remove the attack right now. In the name of Jesus, I thank you for it, Lord, and I give you glory for it, Lord. In the name of Jesus, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for praying. I, I don't look for spirits under every rock. I hope you don't think that. But I, I've learned in, since 2012 when I had this surgery that, um, you know, after a while, it's, not, it's nothing physical anymore because I'm completely healed from that. But whenever, whenever I start getting in the enemy's territory a little bit and he, and he starts getting scared, that's what he does to me. 
Um, and, and so I just thank you for praying because I feel good it left. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. That's what prayer does. That's what prayer does. Thank you, Jesus. So you did not choose Jesus, but he chose you. You are carefully and purposefully selected by God to be his vessel to make disciples. I'm going to say that again. Listen, if you've got the Holy Ghost, if you've been baptized in Jesus' name, if you follow that plan of salvation, being born of water and spirit, you are carefully and purposefully selected by God to be his vessel to make disciples. And if you haven't experienced that yet, you're still chosen. You just haven't quite, you're called. I'll put it that way. You haven't been chosen yet, but he wants to choose you, and he will choose you, and he will give you that spirit, and he, he, will, he will choose you and put you in that same mission if you will allow him to. Sister Ellen. Yes, I've chosen and I've ordained you that you should go. And we're going to read that scripture later that you should go and bear much fruit. And, and so we're going to talk about that scripture a little bit later. But yes, absolutely. You're chosen. You're ordained by him for a specific purpose. And every one of us is ordained and chosen to be a disciple maker. Many times, letter H there, many times in the Gospels, Jesus said, follow me. When a rabbi spoke these words, both he and and the one that was being invited understood that he was offering his life to the invitee. He was offering his wisdom, his learning, his knowledge, and his experience. The rabbi was inviting the potential disciple into a close relationship with him. And by the way, by definition, you cannot be a disciple of Jesus without remaining close to Jesus. Amen. If you can't stay close to him, you can't be a disciple because that's what the definition of it is. It's part of it. It's staying in close, intimate relationship with him. If you're going to imitate him, you have to be able to see what he's doing, and you've got to learn about him. The disciples part of the agreement included a commitment to follow and to remain in close proximity to the rabbi. It offered them the hope of a more informed and educated life and the challenge to someday begin perpetuating his knowledge by inviting others to follow him. In other words, the whole point of being a disciple is to one day be a disciple maker. The whole point of being a disciple is to someday be a disciple maker. The whole point of everything that God wants to do in your life is so that you can lead others to let him do what he wants to do in their lives. Amen. Roman number three there. Discipleship is relational, right? I need to be close to him. It's relational. The early church was founded upon relationship. Discipleship first starts with a relationship with Jesus. Then it flows into relationship with others. Do I need to say that again? <laughs> Discipleship starts with a relationship with Jesus. Then it flows into relationship with others. We love God and we love people. Amen. Jesus said that the whole law could be summed up in two commandments. Love, the, love God with all your heart and love your neighbor as yourself, basically. And you can look that up in Mark 12 and Matthew 22 and it's somewhere in Luke probably too along those same lines. But the first, letter D, the first century church continued daily in the temple and from house to house. The church in the book of Acts shared resources the church in the book of Acts did ministry together. 
Their emphasis on relational discipleship is what empowered the church to grow. And did they grow? Thousands at a time. The Lord added daily to the church such as should be saved. It grew like wildfire. The Bible says they turned their world upside down. But the church has lost this identity of relational discipleship throughout the centuries. Somewhere along the line, and I'm not in your notes right now, I'm kind of on my own own thoughts here, but somewhere along the, the line, the church began to be focused more on building a building or the following of a man than in building people. So the church built bigger buildings and gathered names unto bigger name preachers. And instead of building people, we've begun to have one-dimensional meetings that built powerful leaders but failed to nurture common Christians and new people coming in. By the way, there should not, not be anything such as a common Christian because everything about a true Christian should be uncommon. Come on, I could preach on that one, man. You ought to be uncommon, not common. You ought to be separate from the world, and you ought to be so extraordinary that they want everything that you've got. They want to be like you because of how extraordinary and uncommon you are. Amen. They might call it weird, but what they really think is, I want to be like them. They might make fun of you, but what they're really saying is, I'm jealous of you. Because I want what you have. So when they're making fun of you, when they're mocking you behind your back, when they're talking about you, when they're laughing at you, or even when they're confronting you sometimes and maybe even persecuting you a little bit, remember they're probably jealous or the spirit in them is fighting against you because you're doing something right. Amen. So we lost as a church the concept of discipleship and the concept of disciple making. And somehow we've got to get that back. And that's what this series of lessons is all about. We need to go back to our roots and do things the way that the church did it, the way Jesus instituted that the church should operate. And that's what we're trying to do. Now, we're going to skip uh, Roman numeral th- number four there, um, the expectations of a disciple. But I strongly encourage you read that. We don't really have the same expectations of Christians that uh, Jesus had of his disciples and that the early church had of those he would call disciples. And so. Um, we're going to uh, we're going to skip that, but I want you to there's a pretty lengthy uh, discussion there about that. But we're going to skip down to Roman numeral number five. But let me just real quick, because we have a little bit of time and I might be getting a little bit ahead. I want to spend some time. But let me just ask you a question real quick. What is the difference between a Christian and a disciple? There's not supposed to be a difference. You're absolutely right. You hit the nail on the head. But, Brother Vernon.
glad you went there. Go, you can continue, but I'm just glad you went. Okay. If, if you don't catch that, the word Christian was a word created by the world to describe the followers of Jesus. And by the way, it was a derogatory term. Why are we going to let the world name us? It was a sarcastic term. Now, it's come to mean something different now, but the way I look at it is this. Jesus never said for us to go and make Christians. He said, go make disciples, followers. Christian, Christ, the word Christian and the term Christianity has, has become such a generic term, as brother, as brother Vernon put it, that it just basically applies to anyone who identifies with any, you know, anything that has to do with Jesus. But it doesn't really require anything. Being a disciple, on the other hand, as we said last week, that's going to cost you everything. There's some costs. That's why Jesus said, if you're going to follow me, you better, you better understand some things. You better, you better count the cost because if you put your hand to the plow and you turn back, you're not even worthy. And there's some other things. He said, if you leave your mother and father, if you don't leave your mother, father, and forsake all, then you're not worthy to be my disciple. And he's not saying literally forsake your mother and father, but if your mother and father don't want to come along into into your discipleship and, and they don't they don't and they're not supporting you, but you know you're doing the right thing and you know you're following the Lord, then you just go ahead and do it. Because if you don't, then you're not even worthy to be my disciple. There there were expectations on disciples. You have expectations when you go to work, don't you? Your employer, your supervisor, your boss, the company you work for, or if you're the boss, your customers have an expectation of you. And if you don't meet that expectation, how long are you going to last on that job or in that business? Not very long. I mean, I'm a manager in my job, and it's my job to make sure that people are meeting their expectations. And if they don't, I've got to do something. I've got to either coach them up to the point where they can meet the expectations or I've got to get them out of there and get somebody in that can. And I don't want to, I never want to do that. That's the most unpleasant part of my job is having to deal with things like that. But I have to do it because I have to make sure the expectations are set and that those expectations are being met or exceeded. And hopefully as a Christian, side note here, you are exceeding expectations in your job because you're doing it your best. You ought to be the best employee that you have, that your job has. You can ask Joseph and Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego about that. <laughs> Amen. Brother Milton, I saw your hand.
absolutely. So, so let, me, let me address that just a moment um, because we don't want to send the wrong message. It's not a bad thing to be a Christian, okay? And there are people that don't even have the full revelation of the truth like Cornelius who are very sincere. There are people in the Catholic Church who really do love God. They've just been blinded by their traditions and they don't have the full truth. There are people in other churches that they may not have the full revelation of the truth, but they're, they love God with, with all their heart, soul, and minds. And, and by the way, that's people we ought to be able to come into contact with and disciple them. And I mean, it, if, if it wasn't for someone who did that for me, I wouldn't be here right now with this full revelation of truth. And so I don't want to go out, go out and say, oh, Brother Brown said it's not right to be a Christian or it's bad to be a Christian or anything like that because there are people who claim to be Christians who may not have the full revelation that we have, and they, but uh, they, they might do some things better than you. Man, there are some people in the Catholic Church who would put you to shame when it comes to their tithing. Don't be a clown. There are some people in the Catholic Church that will put us to shame when it comes to faithfulness. Maybe not those of you that are here now, but just maybe apostolics in general. That's sad. Right? But there are people that love God and they really mean well. Those are the people I want to target because they're hungry for the truth. They want the truth. And so, you know, they might call themselves Christians. And I don't want you to go out and say, well, you're not supposed to be a Christian. You're supposed to be a disciple. No, no, no. We'll say that for this setting. Right? Because we're trying to make a certain point. Right? But we're not going to go out there telling everybody on the street corner that it's wrong to be a Christian. Right? Amen? I just wanted to stir the pot a little bit with that question because we had a couple extra minutes. So. Technically, Christian and disciple should be the same thing, as Brother Cohen said. If you are really a Christian, then you should be a disciple. And if you are really a disciple, then you should be a Christian because the word Christian means Christ-like. So what it means in the spirit of being a Christian, that's what we should aspire to. Amen? Is that clear as mud? I didn't confuse you. I didn't, right? Okay, okay we're good. All right. All right, let's skip down to Roman numeral number five, living intentionally. I mean, I really wanted to spend as much time as I could on, on this section tonight because that's really, this is the whole purpose of this lesson is discipleship on purpose. So living intentionally, letter A, it is incumbent upon the disciple to live for God and to have good morals, to be Christ-like, to be a Christian. <laughs> but if you are not taking someone on the journey with you, you are not fulfilling your purpose as a disciple. Letter C, the disciple maker has learned the dimension of living intentionally in order to accomplish this purpose. And, and letter D there, disciple making is the most exciting life in the world. It keeps you on your toes. <laughs> because guess what? You get a front row seat. You might want to highlight this. You get a front row seat to the work of God's grace and mercy in a person's life as he develops lasting fruit within them. Man, I'm going to embarrass Brother Cain a little bit. Now, Brother Cain started following Jesus, and he started seeking for the truth. And then he found this church, and God led him to this church. And in the first service, I believe, he got the Holy Ghost in that church. But if people hadn't taken the time to spend some time with him and help him a little bit, and he put a lot of effort into it but by, him, by himself, and that, that's going to take him a long way. But I look at Brother Cain, and maybe I haven't spent as much time as I should have spent with him. But I've got, this, I've got kind of a front row seat to see what God has done in this man's life. 
And man, there's nothing greater. Man, it, there's no greater feeling in the world than to watch God work in somebody's life. You know, I look at people like Alicia, and she grew up in this church, and she was a flower girl in my wedding. And, and, and since I've been here now for 13 years, um, I've got to see God work in her life and watch God do great things in her life. I mean, there is no greater joy than to see that. I mean, it's so exciting to watch as God takes someone that you, and he uses you to lead somebody along the way. He uses you to mentor someone. He uses you to create somebody that can be a disciple and a disciple maker. Man, there is nothing greater in the world than to see someone else grow in Jesus. Man, I love it. It's so awesome. It's the greatest thing in the world. Letter E. It was so awesome to see. Crystal, I need to get the Holy Ghost on somebody. <laughs> so awesome. She's been in the church for a while, and look what happened. And she's been faithful, and she kept coming. And her daughter has stuck by her and pushed her a little bit, and she kept coming. And I know there have been ladies in the church that have reached out to her and, and spent time with her. And, and man, what a, what a tremendous joy on Sunday is, and she received the gift of the Holy Ghost. And I'm sorry if I'm embarrassing you, sis, but it's just so awesome to see that. I love it. Yeah, it's all right. Let's clap our hands. I mean, that's that's awesome. I love to see that. I love to see people grow in Jesus. It's just amazing. And I could I could name a whole bunch of others in here that I've got to have a front row seat as God has worked in your lives. It's so awesome. And guess what? I've got a front row seat to see what God continues to do in your life. Some of you I've got to baptize in Jesus name. What a joy. What an honor. Some of you have been praying with you, and God's given you breakthroughs in the altar, and it's awesome. And, and, and I'm not trying to take any glory for myself because that's not what it is. What I'm saying is there is no greater privilege and honor than to see God do a great work in your life. And you ought to want to have, you get to experience that same honor because it's not all on the pastors and the ministers and the, and the Sunday school teachers. You get to be a part of this. By the way, Sunday school teachers, you are discipling and making disciples in your Sunday school classes. And that's a great honor, too. Letter E, disciple-making is more than just a Sunday thing. <laughs> the early church disciples did not just live intentionally one day a week in a corporate worship service. They didn't just go to 517 Farmington Avenue once a week to do ministry or any other address, right? Yeah. They ministered daily, as we talked about last week, from house to house. And you can lay out, I listed a bunch of scriptures there that you can look at that talks about house to house and ministering daily. Letter A in your notes there. The term every house seems to indicate, and this is a quote directly from the book, seems to indicate that either believers opened their homes regularly to create disciple-making opportunities in order to redeem the time and make sure they did not miss any opportunities. Or... You can write this down because somehow I missed that thought there. I must have accidentally glued to something. Or they were spending a lot of time daily at the, at the temple in the synagogue or, or, or they were going. They either opened up their homes or they were going into different homes. All right, I must have deleted something from the notes there. I apologize. So either they were opening their own homes on a daily basis or at least on a regular basis for other people to come and so they could help disciple them. Or they were going to people's houses. It might even mean they were knocking on doors and asking people to 
if they believe Jesus. I mean, Paul was walk, walking in Acts 19. Paul's walking along the coast of Ephesus and runs into some disciples. They were disciples of John. They were following, as Brother Milton mentioned earlier, they were following every little bit of truth they, 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 they knew. And Paul saw an opportunity to make a disciple. He was on his way somewhere else. He was on a mission. How many times have you been on a mission to go to Walmart and, and get something? And, and as, as you're going, and look, especially as men, because we don't linger and browse most of the time unless I'm in Bass Pro Shops or something. Um, you know, we, I go to Walmart, and I'm like, I'm a, I got to go get some, some washing powder, washing detergent. I'm going to get it, and I'm going to get out because I don't want to be here very long. I had bad things happen to me at Walmart. I almost punched a guy out in Walmart not too long ago. Literally. It was an accident. Well, it was done on purpose, but I reacted to the fact that he had a snake wrapped around his arm and was reaching towards me, and all I saw was a snake when I turned around, and I literally cussed him <laughs> and uh, thought I was going to jail for a minute. <laughs> it was crazy. It was just a, you know, it was a cons- like a boa constrictor or a python or something, but all I did is I turned around, and this guy's hand was reaching across my cart to, to put something on the belt. And I was reaching back to grab my card because it was in the card reader. And I turned like this, and it was just like, whoa. And I just scooped it, and I hit him. And I'm like, oh, no, I'm going to jail. <laughs> and then he, you know, I helped him up, and I apologized. And everybody was, you know, I see the cell phone start coming out. I'm like, oh, man. <laughs> All I could think of is Brother Potosky's brother is a, is a policeman in, in Lewington, and he spends most of his time at that Walmart. And I was like, man, <laughs> Brother Potosky's going to hear about this. Our district secretary, man, I'm never going to live this way. No. Fortunately, the manager came over and chewed the guy out for having a snake in Walmart. And, you know, I don't like going to places like that. I just, you know, especially Walmart. People get crazy in Walmart. But, but anyway, but we go and we get, and I got you, Brother Sam. We go and we get, we get so mission-minded or so just kind of focused on, on what we're shopping for. And, and what about that person that, that we, we might have had a chance to meet, to greet, what about that person who, it might have been a backslider, we haven't seen him in church a long time, and it might be that person that, that you can say, hey, you know, I haven't seen you in a while, how are you doing, what's going on in your life, I, you know, let's, let's talk, let's set up a time to have coffee so we can catch up. That could be an opportunity to be a disciple of Jesus. Right? Brother Sam. Okay. <laughs> All right, so th- and th- that's the point I was trying to make before I got off track. <laughs> I don't go around punching people on purpose, that hadn't happened very often, it's just... <laughs> it happened. <laughs> oh, boy. I went viral. I didn't even know it. <laughs> all right. Your assistant pastor goes around punching people. That's all you're going to remember after, after tonight. That's not the way to make disciples. And I'm not, I'm not proud of what happened. I'm just saying it happened, and I thought for sure I was going to jail. But you know what? I went to Walmart the other day, that same Walmart, and I ran into that manager again. And that manager said, hey, I remember you. And I'm like, oh, here we go. But he's like, hey, how are you doing? What's, you know, everything's all right. You know, glad you came back. I don't know if you'd ever come back after that. I'm really sorry about that. And so now he knows me. So guess what? That could be an opportunity. That could be an opportunity. So now, even though I don't like to go there, I'm going to go there more. And if I can find him, every time I go in there, I'm going to try to find him. Because it might be an opportunity to make a disciple. Brother Tamara. 
Yes. And so we're going to we're going to address this in more depth as we get later on in the lesson. That's really the whole point. And I'm glad you said that. But I will say, yes, it is partly that. Now, it's also taking the time to invest in people that you already have connections with. But you should be making friends and you should be making connections. And, and yes, I see your hands up there. And I'll get to it in a second. Um, and, and so part of that is just being in tune at all times with the spirit of God, because you don't know who God might send your way. Now, I would say this, be very careful who you pick up and let in your car, especially you ladies, because you never know what might happen. Yes, yes, exactly. I, I would say let's let's use a little bit of wisdom here um, in doing that. Um, use wisdom, but, you know, just sometimes helping people meet a need that they have. That's how it starts. Right. Sit down. And you were a part of that, of what God did. And you might not have been intimately, or she might not have been intimately involved um, with everything that happened, but she helped plant that seed and start that. And what if she didn't plant that seed? Then that seed never got watered. There's no seed to water. Right? So it, it's important that we don't get focused on, on the increase all the time and who gets credit for the increase because God's the only one that gives the increase. Right? Um, but I, if I do my part, if I plant and if I water when I'm supposed to, then I have my way, and, and I've done my job. And then God gets all the glory when it does happen, right? You know, you just never know um, who you meet and what might happen, and you might not ever know. You might not ever see um, the plant that's formed from the seed that, that, that you plant. You might not ever see the tree that grows and the fruit that grows on that tree, but you get to be a part of it if you just plant that seed. Sit down, yes. This is, if we create this culture, we're going to get somewhere. We're going to get somewhere. Nothing, now, let me, let me make the point here. Nothing can take the place of cor corporate worship. We need that. 
Serious disciple makers understand they must be a part of a local body which provides necessary elements for them, such as vision, accountability, spiritual covering and protection. I couldn't, uh, uh, that's a whole other lesson for another time, but you need the spiritual covering and protection of a, sh- of, of a shepherd. You need that in your life, and if you don't have it, you're, you're not under the protection of God. You need that umbrella of protection by having a pastor over you, and you need to submit to that authority. And if you, without that, without submission, you don't have the full protection of God. And God might gracefully keep you, but um, you're guaranteed protection and covering when, when you have the protection of the shepherd. There, there's a few sheep that can survive and run away from the wolves out on their own. But they're the exception rather than the norm. And you get structure and organization, and, and it, that helps. So the best place for vision, direction, correction, and inspiration is still the house of worship. The best place to make a disciple, however, on a relational and on a fellowship level is in a private setting, such as a house. So real quickly, we have a couple of minutes, and then I need to finish these notes up. Why is a private setting the best place to make a disciple? Sister Mary. You have that one-on-one. Yeah. Part of the reason the public school system fails so many is because there's not enough teachers to match the number of students that they have. Right? And look, some of you might work in the public school system, and there's nothing wrong with, with that, and, and, and you do your best. Um, but there are some teachers out there that you can't get to every, you can't get to every student. There's some classes out there that have 45 or 50 kids for one teacher. Anybody else? Why is the pri- is a private setting the best place to th- to make a disciple? Okay. Okay. So, I mean, we're we're talking semantics here, but but yes, I mean, we could say personal setting. Um, what I'm saying is not public. Not necessarily in a corporate worship service. Corporate worship service is great for praying people through the Holy Ghost. And, and by the way, it doesn't have to be in the corporate worship. You can, people can get the Holy Ghost in different kinds of settings and different kinds of places. But, but you know, it's great to inspire and encourage and give vision. But if you're going to make a disciple, you need to get them one-on-one. You need to get them in a small group setting. You need to get them in a place where they're not intimidated by everybody else that's around. Where you can build a close personal relationship with them. Sister Ellen, real quickly, because we got to get through this. Thank you very much. Yes. to know them. You know, I've heard it said many times that people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. You get to know them, you get to show them personal care, and that, that makes a, a lot of, yes, but quickly, Brother Vernon, i got to try to get through this.
that's where, again, you're raising, you're discipling them. You're making a disciple, but you're not just making a disciple. You're trying to make a disciple maker. You're, the goal is, yes, and so you have to be careful not to just, just constantly feed them the bottle. You've got to know when to move them to shape. You've got to know when to, you, part of discipling is to help them get through their hang-ups, to help them get through their issues, to help them get deliverance from the things they need delivering from, to help them get past the hurts and pains that they have and help them experience the healing of Jesus Christ so that they can go out and do the same thing for someone else that you're doing for them. Yes, you're absolutely right. That's why you have to, you have to understand this and you have to be able to make sure you're helping somebody get through these things. Um, that's the whole point of this. Did you have a question, Sister Veronica? You're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. You're absolutely right, and we're not negating any of that. And that's because that's not the point of the lesson now. Because we are the vessels that the Holy Ghost wants to use to help other people. Now, the Holy Ghost can talk to you, and he should. And the Holy Ghost should be your comforter, and he should be your guide. Because the Bible says that the comforter will guide you into all truth. That being said, the Holy Ghost isn't going to speak against what the Bible says. And many times, the only way the Holy Ghost is going to speak to you is through this. But you got to get them to learn this. You got to get them consistent. You have to help them create disciplines. So yes, the power of the Holy Ghost. So I'm not negating that at all. The Holy Ghost can change somebody, can deliver somebody, can guide somebody, can set people on the right track, and all of that. But Jesus has ordained disciples to go out and develop people to make to make more disciples. That's the way that they did it in the Book of Acts. But they had the Holy Ghost power working with them, because the Bible says. That they went everywhere preaching, and the Lord confirmed the word with miracles, signs, and wonders. And they prayed for boldness that they could be bold. And those in the in, in the in how they prayed for that boldness, he said, by what? By miracles and signs and wonders being done by the name of your holy child Jesus. And that's what they were saying is, you know, they're going to go forth, but you're going to go with the power of the Holy Ghost. If you're a disciple maker, you go in the power of the Holy Ghost, and you let the power of the Holy Ghost use you to impact change in people's lives. And you're absolutely right. We, we're not negating the power of the Holy Ghost. We need to let the power of the Holy Ghost flow through us. Because when we become a disciple maker, we, you have the full backing of the Holy Ghost. I think it's later in the lesson that we talk about that. Yes, Brother Kane. Yeah. Yeah. A absolutely. He, he wants to use us. He's asked to he's he's asked to use that he wants to use you, but he wants his power to flow through. Yes, Sister Beth.
absolutely, all, all the time. And, and iron sharpens iron, and we need each other. That's why we're likened to a body, because we all contribute to one another. The body has to work together to function properly. Brother Andres, yes. Yeah, definitely, you know, as you're developing these relationships, there needs to be some confidentiality. And, but and, and so you, you have to develop that with them. And as they trust you, they're not going to trust you once you break that trust, right? So you got you to you build trust. Sister Mia, did you have a comment? <laughs> yes, she is. Absolutely. But they've still developed, and they still went. So, so yes, I'm not negating any of that, and you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right, and I, and I, and I hate to cut you off, but we got to try to finish this up. you got to have the power, and you do have the power. You need to understand that. You do have the power. And by the way, discipling people is not just feeding them milk forever, right? You feed them what they can take. You feed them what they're, you know, you have to be sensitive, and you let the Lord, you know, but, but just, I mean, I, I, discipleship is not, what I mean by discipleship is not necessarily that you're going to take, you know, three years to get somebody to get the Holy Ghost. I'm not, now, some people, it might take that long. And shame on us if we allow them to continue that way, right? You know, we need to get the power of the Holy Ghost in them, and we need to do that, and we need to be urgent, and we're going to preach it, and we're going to teach it, and we're going to ask the Lord to confirm his word with signs following. But we have a job to do. And, and, and by the way, once they get the Holy Ghost, the job is not over, and that's kind of really the point of this. You go out and win souls. Use the power of the Holy Ghost and win souls. But you need to continue discipling them. Just because they got the Holy Ghost, just because they got baptized in Jesus' name, does not mean they're going to make it to heaven. Oh, boy. They have now entered the kingdom of God. 
But that doesn't mean they're going to stay. We got we got to help them stay. And that's what discipleship is all about. We need fruit that remains. Yes, I see your hand. But in, in the rest of the lesson talks about that, how we get into fruit that remains. He has ordained us to go and bear forth much fruit and that that fruit shall remain. How do we get to the point where that fruit remains? Discipleship. Discipling people. You can bear fruit, but is that fruit going to remain? The power will help you bear fruit. The discipleship is going to help bring that fruit remain. And that's what it's all about. And I got to say one more thing because the Holy Ghost keeps reminding me of this. Um, and we're not going to finish these notes. And we'll, we'll be able to finish up the three or four pages there before we go on in the next lesson. Um, but I got to say this. Um, I was talking about how, um, first of all, that God wants to use us. We, we, we don't negate the power of the Holy Ghost. And, yes, the Holy Ghost will um, use us, and he wants to use us. And he will comfort us, and he will guide us into all truth, and he will lead us, and he will direct us. Number one, I said that he would not contradict the word, right? And most of the time, he speaks through this. And he will speak to you through the still small voice. He will speak to you through the gifts of the spirit and through prophets and through through the preaching of the word and all that. But he's not going to ever say anything that goes against this. And because he he has ordained for you to have a pastor, he's not going to go against what your pastor says either. Unless your pastor's out of the book. And if your pastor gets out of the book, then then we got to, you know, you got you got to re, you know, you got to reevaluate if you're in the right place under the right shepherd. Thankfully, we have a shepherd that's in the book. Amen. And if it goes against what he's saying, if you still feel that strongly, then you pray that the Lord will show to him what he's showing you. But um, it's it's order. It's structure. It's um, sometimes it's just God testing to see if you'll really submit to authority. true disciple is submitted to authority as well. He teaches others to be submitted to authority. The, the, the disciples of the rabbis in the Bible days, they didn't go about trying to do it their own way. And, and by the way, the rabbi would correct them when they did. Jesus, the rabbi, looked at Peter and said, get thee behind me, Satan. <laughs> right? He told Peter when he cut the ear off, he's like, put the sword away. And then he put the ear back on. He corrected them sometimes when they were wrong. You know, John and James's mother came and, and asked, you know, can they one sit on one of the hand, one sit on He's like, that's not for me to determine. He wasn't talking to her. He was talking to them when he said that because they're the ones that asked their mom to say that. And so the, the rabbi corrected, and guess what? If they wanted to be a true disciple, they had to submit. And if they didn't, they wouldn't be a disciple for very long. And so I, I just felt like really strongly that I needed to say that. Um, we're going to be disciple makers, and we're going to get out there, and we're going we're gonna to build people. Um, and we're going to allow the Holy Ghost to lead us, and we're going to teach them that the Holy Ghost can guide them, but we're also going to teach them that they need to be under the guidance of a pastor or, and a shepherd, a spiritual head in their life. And um, we need to make sure that we, that we stick with that. Amen? All right. Sister Ellen, real quick, and then we've got we to close this out. Yeah, exactly. I was going to say that, and then I got off track. But, yes. Follow me as I follow Christ. And so if, if your pastor gets out of the book, and Pastor Prime is not, by the way, and I doubt that he ever will, but if he were to ever get out of the book, then, you know, you, you reevaluate. 
what shepherd you're under, but if he's in the book, you need to stick with it, right, and, uh, and submit. And when you do, there's a power in that because when you humble yourself, the Bible says that he will exalt you in due time. Um, and this discipleship thing, okay, so we'll close with this. I, don't, I do not want anyone leaving here thinking that I'm negating the power of the Holy Ghost because I'm not. Go out and preach the word. Ask the Lord to confirm that word with signs following. 100%, you have the power of the Holy Ghost. You need to use it. He that believes and is baptized shall be saved, and these signs shall follow them that believe, right? So, so you're going to have, you should have signs following. You should have the, the power of the Holy Ghost working in your life. And as you're going out making disciples, you should have that power of the Holy Ghost working in you. And you should be out telling people about Jesus, and you should be teaching them Bible studies, and you should be, you know, doing your best to, to see them, see the, the power of the Holy Ghost demonstrated in their lives. But don't stop working with them on a personal level. Because you want them to be able to go out and do the same thing that you're doing. Amen? Does that make sense? Does that address the questions or concerns around that? All right. And uh, God bless you. Love you, every one of you. Appreciate the comments and the, the input. And we'll, we'll continue this um, and we'll, we'll finish this one up and we'll start into lesson three next week. Amen. God bless you. You're dismissed in Jesus' name.